Hey, fitness junkies. This is George Majorano with American Medical Wellness. We are experienced in male and female hormone optimization, peptide therapy, stem cell therapy, and IV therapy. If you're looking to improve your health and wellness, please give us a call, 702-347-7000, or visit our website, AmericanMedicalWellness.com. I keep saying I'll start on Monday, and Monday never comes. I go on a holiday soon, and I really want a bigger bum and a smaller waist. Can you help? Look, if you want to come gym, make sure you put the work in. Some want to get fit, some want to get slim. Some want to start competing, but none of them just can't stop cheating. When their belly is full, they're still eating. Me, I practice what I'm teaching. They don't live what they're preaching. It's a lifestyle. What's up, FitFam? This is Giovanni of Geo's Logic, your host of Fitness Junkies. I hope this show meets you in good health and spirits, and if not, I hope it inspires you to do something about it. Well, folks, we've got a really good show coming up, so don't forget to like and share. Go to our Instagram and like and share, because um, I think you're really going to get motivated and inspired by this show. And I have to thank my co-host over here, Emily, for bringing this guest, and I'm going to let you introduce him. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, challenge accepted. You called me out on this one for uh, trying to get Coach Marty Hennessy on the program. Um, so Coach Marty and I met a couple years back uh, over at the Sterling Club playing tennis. Uh, Coach Marty got me into uh, tennis. My first lesson was with a six or seven year old. Um, but he's basically the catalyst of all things tennis over there. And um, helps me as a mentor just regarding resilience and mindset and uh, the ability to have no quit. Um, so, Coach Hennessy, thank you for coming on today. Well, thank you, Emily. It was a, an eight-year-old, actually. She, <laughs> she, she came in for the lesson and worked out with her, and halfway through the lesson, the little eight-year-old started coaching her. <laughs> two, two, two years later, she's now the best player on our team at the club. Nice. So the, the work ethic we see her do, it's, it, it reminds me of... Mia Hamm, you know, how they work so hard and you, you're wow. working when nobody's really watching and she gets these results. So she's a great inspiration. In fact, one last thought about Emily, uh, we threw her into a pickleball team. We needed one extra player. She played the number one position, girls that have played for a long, long time in doubles. And uh, it goes five sets and she beats this team. Wow. And she was embarrassed to tell him this is the first time she played pickleball. <laughs> so Emily was inspiration for me and a lot of the other, other uh, members of the club. Well, uh, it seems like a, a common thread here. She's been an inspiration to our watchers, our, our viewers, and an inspiration to me since I've met her. Um, but I really want to talk about you because she's been blowing you up um, like the next best thing since sliced bread. And I want to hear um, about the journey. Like back, we talked a little bit before the show, but let's go all the way back. And how did you get to, into tennis? And how did that all turn into you um, doing what you're doing now? Well, you and I talked earlier about uh, wanting to play baseball. That's the sport I wanted to play back in the good old days. That's pretty much what most of the kids wanted to do. You also were doing the same thing. I could uh, throw a ball, catch it, couldn't really hit it. But just so happens, less than a mile down the street was probably the number one tennis club in California, if not the country. And uh, the coach took a liking to me. We didn't have a lot of money for lessons. So uh, I'd take the bucket of balls in practice. He'd come out and tell me something. And 
Long story short, within four years, I had a bunch of college scholarships, went to BYU, uh, got married by when I was in college. And uh, when I graduated, I needed to get some income. I already had a couple of kids with me. So uh, I love to compete, but I needed to bring income in. So I called the uh, president of the USPTA in the Intermountain area, and it was a name uh, named Gar Glennie, who was a pro at the Frontier Hotel. <clears throat> so he said, come work for me. So I came to Vegas for about a year, Frontier Hotel, ended up going back to California, brand new club opened up, and came back after a year, worked for Gar maybe another three months, and then the Desert Inn opened up. And uh, Desert Inn, I stayed there for 27 years, directing tennis. Wow. <clears throat> when they closed, I signed up at the Sterling Club. I got an interview with the owner. Uh, we talked about the club and before it, you know, it was actually being built, and I was trying to convince him not to put clay courts. But I can see in his eyes he wanted it, so I backed off on that. Clay courts is a very, very soft surface, easy on your body, very difficult to maintain in the desert. Mm. Um, but I know he was from Florida, and that's what he wanted, and he was right. It's the best thing we could have had there. Oh, wow. So I went there in 2000 and uh, pretty much stayed there till 2012, club closes, uh, started working at uh, Westgate Resort, had a lease on that. And when the club reopened a few years ago, I joined back over there. So I've uh, been involved with tennis my whole life, fell, fell in love with it when I was 14. That's all I really wanted to do. Uh, when we were at the, uh, uh, the Sterling Club, the very first year I was running a tournament I'd ran for 27 years called the Amstel Light. It's the biggest tournament in town. Didn't need to advertise it at all. Uh, people would just sign up for it. So we were doing it at the club, and we're trying to raise some money for some kids that uh, had the desire, but not the funds, to go out and play national tournaments and get recognized. Uh, so during this fundraiser, we raised up uh, some products of people we want, things we wanted to sell, and one of our members with the product maybe worth fifty dollars says five thousand. So they wanted to raise some money for these kids. So long story short, with that, eventually, after 22 years, we've really just taken off with this uh, uh, tennis foundation. They called it after me only because I knew everybody in town, mm. and we can bring people together. Right. Um, so we bring in Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett was a good friend. He played a lot of tennis with me and got behind it. Every time he came into town, we, we would do a fundraiser, and he'd say what it, he would tell everybody it's his birthday. Well, it wasn't his birthday. But he would <laughs> celebrate his birthday with us, and we'd raise fun, funds with that. Rita Rugner got involved with it. Rudy, uh, the movie Rudy, right. he, he's from Vegas. He was involved with that. Uh, Tony's since passed away, but Jewel's been involved the last few years. You know, she was homeless. What we started off to raise money for kids that had uh, talent and desire is now more mental health, mentoring, education. Tennis is like fourth or fifth on the list. But uh, we've got about 180, 190 kids, college scholarships. So uh, that's been a pretty big deal for us. Um, hmm. What do you think? I think that's great. How did you, how did you in your mind, how did you know that that's something that you wanted to do just based on, were you finding that you were coaching a lot of these kids and you saw uh, their potential, but it was just maybe their home life or their mm -hmm. financial life at home wasn't wasn't willing to serve them that opportunity? Or, or where did you kind of come well, up with You know, that? going back even farther, uh, after playing only two years, I was 16, the, the uh, pro at the club in Sacramento, California, asked me to run his junior program. I mean, I had really no knowledge, but he saw something there. 
that I could do that. So I got up my hand in that, and the next, the next year I went to the city and said I want to run a program for the city. And city of not Sacramento, it's Rancho Cordova. But I somehow could figure out how to put these programs together. So when I got into, uh, after college and starting at the, uh, uh, the frontier, you just kind of gravitated to a lot of kids. That was really my forte. And uh, the Desert Inn, I must have had, you know, hundreds of kids out there playing. And not, not because of camps and things, they just could gravitate there to play each other. So I've been doing camps probably my whole life. And uh, we started the, the, the camp at the Sterling Club, which was the No Quit. And that's where kind of things mushroomed from the academy and uh, going into the, uh, the Tennis Foundation. We, we talked about um, briefly about breaking into the fitness space with a podcast earlier before the, before the show. And it kind of transitions right into the name of your, your camp, the No Quit. Um, what does that mean to you? And, 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 and I think it's going to mean this very similar things to me. What, is, what does No Quit mean to you? Well, there's a lot of us that think we came up with that, that name. I, I think I came up with that <laughs> But, I mean, basically, you just, you just have to hang in there. I mean, uh, everybody has certain heights they can reach, and you just do the best you can, and you keep working at it. But we find most people, they get to a certain level, and not that they quit, but they just don't want to push enough. Mm. There's so many plateaus in fitness and tennis that you may get a plateau for three, four, five months, and then all of a sudden... You go up here if you put the time in, and then you get a little higher. But if you back off a little bit, then uh, you don't seem to climb the stairs as well as you should. Mm. So just, just keep hanging in there and doing the best you can and take one day at a time and make, make every day the best day you can be because that's all you can control. Mm. Um, you know, we talked about listening to tapes and positive tapes, and I've always listened to, not always, but these last few years been listening to quite a few of them. And I think back as a kid, I had three books in my pocket that I always carried around to every tournament. One was Psycho-Cybernetics. And I don't know where I came up with that book. I, I believe they were talking about um, uh, a girl that gets plastic surgery and uh, you know, she was an ugly duckling. She turns into this beautiful swan, but she still sees the ugly duckling in the, in the mirror. So it, that told me, well, you know, you, you can't hit a backhand, but if you stay with it and just start visualizing a little bit, maybe, maybe you can do that. The other one was Rhinoceros Success, and it was a 30-minute book to read. Print was so huge, but it talked about a rhino that had very thick skin and would run through the forest, not the smartest animal, but went to its target. Branches are hitting you, and you can't do this, and you, know, you cheated me, all these things going at you, and you have to kind of let those things go. And the third book was uh, The University of Screw You, and it had, <laughs> had a little tortoise on the cover. And again, these are books I carried to every tournament, and we didn't have our, our phones, but I would sit back and I'd read this book again. But this was about uh, somebody that gets in the real estate market. And her very first sale, she sells a million dollars of a home. And they, the person said, you know what, this is your first deal. I, I can't pay you that. You know, you're not good. You don't have the, you don't have the, uh, the experience. So that planted a seed in my mind that I better get a resume of some sort so that when I went into jobs and did things, that I can kind of get in there. So I've always got an opportunity to get decent jobs. I was at the Desert Inn, like I said, for quite a few years. I had to have a resume. When I went into uh, the Sterling Club, I had to bring a resume to them. So putting time into that and building it up, 
you know, like this uh, university scenario was a big plus for me. Hmm. So how, how do you think that went as far as like when you were at Desert Inn um, and doing all that stuff? Like you started, I know you've trained some very prominent tennis players over the years. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I mean, we, I don't know if I trained a lot of them, but a lot of them came out there and played and I had a chance to play with them. I mean, Andre Agassi came there quite often. I played his brother a thousand times. David Pate wins the Australian Open doubles. I played him a thousand times as a kid growing up. I mean, you gotta, you gotta do drills and you gotta work in your strokes and then you gotta play matches. You gotta get competition. So uh, it was interesting at the Desert Inn, I probably had about 50, 60 kids that were in that group that were all college material. And it wasn't really my coaching. We just built an environment where they can come out and they would play each other and compete. And then each year they'd get a little better and a little better. So it was more creating an atmosphere, um, you know, where they can keep improving. You know, sometimes they talk in our, our clinics at the Sterling Club uh, about this gym in, uh, in Moscow. It's called Sparta. It's like, Sparta. The, it's like the dirtiest YMCA you've ever seen. It's just, <laughs> it's just terrible. They get 20 girls on a court, and all they do is practice swings, forms. They don't practice eating a ball. This goes on for months and months and months. Then finally they hit a few balls, and then eventually they, they kind of build from that. But the, the group and then the competition between them and they get all these world-class players coming out of there because not only do they have great fundamentals, they're very hungry, hungry to get out of that environment and get to another level. Mm. So um, I am, I've played tennis before just for fun. Um, I've never been in any competitive tennis. But I've talked to Emily about it and how there's a lot of life lessons learned in mm -hmm. the game of tennis. The one I'm probably most interested in is the losing, mm -hmm. whether it's a set or a point or a match. How do you coach losing, um, and what does losing mean to you? Because it means something to me. It's it's more of a lesson um, than a loss. Mm -hmm. And and so, what what do you think about losing? Well, and how well, do you teach? Well, we learn more by the losses than we do the wins. Mm. You know, we learn things from it. The issue, the quite a few years, I've, I've seen more of the parents kind of prevent their kids from going through that. Mm. But uh, you, you need to go out there and put yourself out and, and, and lose so you can keep improving on it. And you try different, you know, things you're working with the coach to try to develop. Pancho Gonzalez may have been the greatest player of all time. You know, we hear about Federer and Nadal and these other guys, but it... 41 years old, Poncho, who was in, in Las Vegas, uh, wins the Hughes Invitational two years in a row, beats Rod Laver, one of the greatest of all times, like one and one, Stan Smith, two and one, just runs right through him. This is at 40, 41. Wow. So he, uh, he would practice things. In fact, I mentioned David Pate, he was his coach. And uh, Poncho would practice and have certain things to work out in his practice matches. And here's a fellow that just hated to lose. I mean, as bad as we hate to lose, it just killed him. But he would practice things in practice matches so he would be better in his, uh, his regular tournament matches. So how do you teach losing? I mean, you just, uh, it's, it's how we, you, and no matter what you do in life, you gotta put it out there and you gotta take the losses, but try to learn from them. Mm. Mm. Um, what are some of the things that this young man over here has taught you about the game of tennis and how it translates to life. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the, the one of the greatest things that Coach Marty uh, is constantly displaying and putting out there is the resilience and sticking with it, you know, true to his no quit academy. Um, and I think a lot of the a lot of the people that work with Coach Marty are inspired by that. Uh, I don't know that I've ever heard Coach say anything negative about anybody, anything, any instance, any you know thing that has happened to him that most people would complain or take a negative stance. He's always been a mentor to me in that regard where he's able to flip things around and turn it into a positive. Uh, and I think, you know, with that, it, it, it is inspiring. And I think that's why when, you know, he has his, his foundation uh, and, and they, he said, you know, I, I use my, they use my name because I know a lot of people in town. I, I, yes, I think he knows a lot of people in town, but I think more so is that coach has the personality and the presence and kind of that special aura around him that keeps people wanting to come back. It keeps them wanting to come back, uh, especially, you know, I can speak for myself. I've had a bad match or a bad practice or a bad, a bad day at work or, you know, a bad day with my friends or family. And he kind of has provided that space, uh, whether it be to children, adults, new tennis players, very tenured tennis players, uh, to kind of come back to that space. And I know when I go and have a session with coach, whether that's a private one-on-one, -on -one, uh, a women's clinic, a social clinic on Sundays, that it's going to be a positive experience. It's going to be um, a learning experience. Uh, and it's going to be a fun experience. So I think that's one of the life's greatest you know, things that he has taught me is uh, it's, it's about creating that atmosphere for people. And if you're creating that atmosphere for people and you're putting that into the world, um, you know, and not seeking it back, it's going to naturally, the universe is going to naturally give that back to you, in, in my opinion. Uh, and I think that's one of Coach Marty's greatest attributes is, is just creating that space for folks to kind of go and, and learn and be happy and excited about being there and being there with Coach Marty. Mm. So, um, you know, so many people um, in today's society don't realize how important sports are to life lessons. And um, I think based on the little I know about you and what I've heard from Emily, um, I think a lot of what you teach on the court is kind of you're also trying to impress them how to, you know, imprint that in their life. Talk about how you maybe think your philosophies about that. Well, I think you're just right on with, with, with sports in general because of winning and losing and having a good attitude and working yourself through it. Um, eating well, getting some sleep. I see the book behind you, Why We Sleep. <laughs> but uh, there's so many little things you got to put together to make things uh, right for whether you're competing hard or you're, you're just going to show up for work. Yeah. Um, yeah, Joe, Joe Rogan, uh, who's a big podcaster, he says that um, doing hard stuff in athletics makes doing hard stuff or going through hard stuff in life easier. Mm -hmm. Do you believe in that? Right. And I think a lot of us are looking or maybe programmed. You know, when I grew up, leave it to Beaver and uh, 
the Brady Bunch, everything looked like it was peachy keen, but right. really, life's a struggle. Life's the biggest battle you can have. You know, we talked about competing on tennis or Mia Ham soccer or whatever we're doing, but the real battle is life. And if you can deal with that uh, and have a smile at the end of the day, because it's never going to be easy and somebody's always going through something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about that book, the, what would you call it? The rhinoceros? Rhinoceros success. Rhinoceros, yeah. Rhinoceros <laughs> success. success. Um, you had, you, you painted a picture of this rhino running through the jungle and things were knocking it and trying to stop it. Um, uh, it, it's, it sounds very similar to this person over here mm -hmm. who has things trying to knock her off her track mm -hmm. and how she just runs through it. Have you two talked about that book before? No, we haven't. No, but uh, <laughs> we've talked about situations. And stuff. Right. But, but, but again, it was a crazy little thing because uh, I maybe read up till I was in college, maybe five books. I just wasn't into books. I wanted to play sports, baseball, whatever. But those somehow I came across it. And I think I realized something about the mind because I started tennis late. 14, all the other kids were, you know, 9, 10, 11, they had way head start. So I needed to program upstairs a little more. And those kind of books, I kind of gravitated to. In fact, even when I was in college, I'd go to the library, even though I was studying for marketing and economics and accounting, that uh, I would go to those books and see what they'd had and, you know, pick up some information from it. Mm. But I thought it was just a very simple book that kept my head straight on a simple target. And, uh, you know, tried to keep me on course. Mm. Um, you mentioned earlier, you just talked about how young a lot, a lot of these athletes are starting. Um, earlier, you mentioned about how these parents don't want their kids to experience losing. What's your take on this participation uh, mentality that a lot of new parents or this new age of ideology is that we don't want our kids to have any uh, hardships or rough patches or losing. What do you think about that for young people? Mm, yeah, I think it's the wrong direction mm. because the, the losing and dealing with that is going to help us later on, like you said, in life. Because mm. no, nothing's ever going to go as smooth as you, you possibly plan it. So you, you need to get some bumps along the way and figure out how to handle it, maybe on a tennis court or in, in another sport. So when it does come up, you know, the kids that have a lot of trouble later on have been, been very successful all the way through, no, no stoppages, no issues, and all of a sudden they hit something. They don't know how to deal with it. But the kids that had to struggle to get here and get there, all of a sudden when things come up, they're, they're the horse I'm betting on. Mm, mm, that's interesting. Um, so if you were to pick one thing that Marty has switched the light on for you, um, you talked about one aspect earlier. Is there any other kind of gem that you can think about that was like, wow, this was a light bulb for me? I think there's, there's really so many. So uh, to single it down to one, I would say it's, it's just, you know, similar to what he just spoke about is the resilience. Um, you know, life is, is certainly never going to be everything you know there's that saying like yeah you want to you want to um say what your plan is like tell god what your plan is it'll be something different or so, something to that regard and i think that's similar to what coaches has put into my mind is you know no matter no matter what happens you got to keep getting back up right mm -hmm. you got to keep getting back up it's going to knock you down you got to get back up knock you down again you got to get back up 
And, and that resilience comes with mindset that Coach and I talk about a lot is uh, kind of flipping, flipping that scenario. So if something does affect you negatively, trying to flip that into a positive. Uh, you know, and it might not have been the course that you thought you were supposed to go on, but that setback might have steered you in a different direction. Uh, and that direction can catapult your life or your lifestyle in some other fashion. So I think just being open mindset and, and having an open heart to some of those obstacles that might come your way and then having that ability and that resilience to just keep going, right? Like not every day is going to be perfect. Not every day is going to be perfect on the tennis court. Not every day is going to be perfect in life, at your job, with your spouse or your partner. Uh, so I think as far as I'm concerned, uh, just the resilience level um, to just keep moving, whether that's a baby step one day and it might be a giant leap the next day, you've got to just keep moving yourself forward. Mm. And, and you can't assume that something's going to happen. Like in tennis, I've beaten somebody 10 times in a row. I can't assume I'm going to beat them the 11th time. I got to go out there and give them my best effort each time I'm out there competing. And that assuming sometimes gets people frustrated because all of a sudden I, I beat them real bad the first time. Now I'm in a dogfight. Well, there, there's no assumption. You, every day is a new day and you do the best you can. Is it, is it, is that kind of like how you kind of spoke earlier about, uh, people might be working while no one's watching and mm -hmm. getting better, even though you've, you've beat this person eight out of nine times, but they're progressing because they're doing like what Emily's doing, hitting balls, you know, working on the fundamentals, and that raises her game, and then, oh, oh shit, She's beating me, and then I'm down, and then it's a mental game. Is that part of, mm -hmm. of that success or that turnover? You know, I love to listen to, you know, like, a John Wooden. Uh, yeah. You know, anything he does, coaching-wise, maybe one of the greatest of all times, even though it's in a different sport. And he, he, they tell me every day at practice, he would never talk about winning. It was mm -hmm. just fundamentals. Give it your best, your best uh, effort each day. And... Uh, also, I, I noticed that he had mentioned the very first day at practice, he would make these tremendous athletes, teach them how to put their socks on and their shoes on. Because just simple little basic things could prevent from getting a, a blister or you know a turned ankle or something. Just a simple little thing like this tweaking. As you go down the line, then all of a sudden, you, know, you don't seem to have that problem. But uh, he's just one of the all-time greats to listen to. Um, so... Um, let's, let's get a little bit more in the nitty gritty of the game. And, uh, I know a little bit about her experience on, on the courts and, uh, the way she describes it is she's a lot of times the best athlete on the court, maybe not the best tennis player. Talk a little bit about how, the athletics in a person can overcome some of the fundamentals and then how are you working on her to develop that other aspect of it? Okay, well, going back uh, years and years ago, Jimmy Brown, football player, maybe one of the greatest of all time athletes in the okay. United States. Yeah. So he comes to town. Mike Agassi, Andre's father, comes in the shop and says, Jimmy Brown wants to play my nine-year-old boy. $5,000 is set. Andre can't weigh more than 60 pounds. So I'm just listening, he's telling it. So they end up having the match. They're playing indoors at Cambridge. 
Wait, wait, wait. You're talking about Jim Brown, Jimmy the Jones. famous Hall of Fame running back, right. wants to play a nine-year-old Agassiz. Because he heard how good this little kid was. <laughs> okay. He wasn't oh anything special at that time. 5,000 a set. I think, <laughs> I think they ended up going for 500 a set. Okay. And the story goes they played three sets, and Andre, who's not a great athlete at that time and the greatest athlete of all time, Jimmy Brown's up to that point, some people think, Andre beats him 6-0, 6-0, 6-0. Game. Hey, all you fitness junkies, this is George with American Medical Wellness. Have you ever thought about being a better you, actually getting in better shape, optimizing your performance in the gym, losing body fat, gaining muscle? We at American Medical Wellness are experts in helping you with all these things. So please give us a call, 702-347-7000, or visit our website at AmericanMedicalWellness.com. What? So uh, if somebody has quite a bit of talent and they're skilled, even against a great athlete, it's, it's not going to match up. You know, okay. So that was a very interesting observation. And I remember when I was uh, uh, 17 years old, the club put up, all the members put up X amount of dollars, $10, $20 each, so I can go back and play in the national tournaments. So uh, the pro said to me, he says, instead of hitting more forehands and backhands, he says, he said, stay hungry. Because that hunger, like in the women in the Sparta gym, they're hungry. Andre was hungry. He wanted to get out of his situation. The pressure his father maybe put him on, uh, you know, to get out there and do some things on his own. But Emily's scenario, she is a tremendous athlete, and she's got a huge heart. She will fight you to the end. She will find a way to get that ball over the net. And she's done it. She's done it on the tennis court. She's done it on the pickleball court. And she's probably done it on the soccer field. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. But that's something you can't really teach, that inner heart, strength and heart. So it's, uh, and you don't really, see, you can't see that a lot of times until you see somebody compete. And let me dive in deeper into okay. your coach-athlete uh, uh, relationship. What are, what are you working on with her to raise her game? Is there her serve? Is it her backhand? What are you, what are you working on? You know, she was out on the ball machine today. She was hitting on the Andre Agassi dragon machine Ooh. that uh, uh, Mike Agassi donated this to us at the Sterling Club. And she was practicing for like an hour, forehands and backhands, hit a few volleys and, no, that was Thursday, excuse Thursday, me. Thursday. It was Thursday, yeah, okay. today's Friday. Um, but she's just trying to develop her serves and her techniques some more because she, her ability to move and her ability to see the ball and track it down uh, is far superior than uh, how she's hitting certain shots. Mm. So you raise that, and then she'll be... To get the combination of both. Now, along that same line, uh, even though she loves to compete, like Billie Jean King, when she was at her height, she wanted to improve. So she went to maybe the best coach around who was in Australia. And he said, I will work with you, but you cannot play a competitive match for three months because you'll always go back to what you were doing before a million times to get the ball over. Mm. So he wanted her. Now, the problem with Emily, she wants to compete. Right. But Billie Jean King for three months didn't compete. Right. So she got the strokes groove better and then, uh, you know, became the number one player in the world. Do you find that that's the best way uh, to kind of break some of those bad habits or um, muscle memory habits that are not properly, you know, it's not the proper foundation? Right, right. There, there was a, a book out maybe 150 years ago by Bill Tilden, Match Play Spin of the Ball. Great book for anybody to read talked about how to move your feet. And in fact, it even talked about learning, which I've never heard any book talk about 
that um, you know when you when you do your swing and you're kind of getting it grooved a little bit, you may miss a hundred balls and all of a sudden you get a good ball. So he's out there practicing on a ball machine. This is 150 years ago, back east on a barbaric throwing machine. He's trying to go from a slice back into a topspin. He's like three or four in the United States, and he felt like if he can get that down, he'd be the best player in the world. So he's practicing this topspin back and on the machine, it's indoors. He's hitting the back fence, he's hitting the net. People are walking by above, laughing at him. This guy is supposed to be so good, he can't get the ball on the court. But then he'd hit that one ball that was just right. And he, he feels it, and he get, maybe gets six that day, and then he gets 10, he gets 15, gets more good ones and bad ones. And then he goes into playing some of these young kids some matches, and he can't beat them by practicing that. But he's practicing like Pancho Gonzalez was practicing the stroke that he wanted to get grooved. Once he got it down for 10 years, nobody beat him. Mm. So you, you do need to get time away and then to get things drilled. And then I need to find practice matches to play. And then, then we go from there. But that was an interesting book. So what about competition levels? Um, a lot of motivational guys um, in any sport, they talk about you get better when you play somebody better. And if she's now the best in your league, um, how do we get her game? Who's going to fight against her? Like, well, who's going to be? <laughs> we don't let her play with the girls anymore. She's playing with the boys. Oh, shit. Yeah, she stepped it up. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so we got a three men's O team out there, so she challenges all those guys all the time. Nice, nice. Well, I mean, that's a, a great transition for my next topic. Um, let's uh, run that asset. If we can take a look over there, Andy Murray. He oh, he was been joking about um, myself and him playing a match, and I'm like, Andy, seriously, like, are you kidding me? Because for me, tennis and men's tennis and women's tennis are completely almost two separate sports. So I'm like, if I were to play Andy Murray, I would lose six zero six zero in five to six minutes, maybe ten minutes. Because it's not, no, it's it, true. It's honestly, true. It's a completely. Really. It's a completely different sport. The men are a lot faster, and me and um, they they get they serve harder, they hit harder. It's just a different game. And I love to play women's tennis, and I I only want to play girls because I don't want to be embarrassed. I would not do the tour. I wouldn't do Billie Jean any justice. So Andy, stop it. Yeah. We're not gonna. I'm not gonna let you kill me. So, um, you know, Serena obviously might be one of the best tennis players, man or women ever. Uh, this, this video um, that I just played was um, part of uh, a topic that I don't know why I, I have a, a very strong feeling about, about um, the transgender, move, transgender movement. Um, I'm not transphobic, but I, I do believe and care about women and women's sports. And, um, you know, she is such an athlete and a great tennis player. Um, how do you feel about these young women that potentially have to play men that are, uh, are, are biological men playing women's tennis? Well, I just think for any sport, I think it's way out of line. It's just common sense. Common uh, sense. We, we had uh, uh, Richard Rasnick, an ophthalmologist, years and years ago, uh, 35 years old, becomes Renee Richards, 
uh, enters the pro circuit, everybody was frightened. You know, big, strong, lefty, I believe. Uh, but because he took these shots, he lost his strength and his age. Right. So, um, so that, you know, wasn't that. But they were frightened of him because they mm -hmm. knew he can play. Now, he talked about Andy Murray. Well, I would talk about the top 1,000 to 2,000 college players. He's not going to beat. These are college kids. So, um, you You're know. You're saying Serena wouldn't beat? Serena would not beat the top 2,000 college kids in, in, uh, in the Men's. U.S. Men's. Wow. And she's basically said right there, it's, it's the speed, the strength, the serve. Now, she's got a world-class serve. Yeah, but like 117. And, and no, not too many people are as strong as she is, but, but uh, those elements which she picked out were right on. Now, she's talking about, oh, no, with Angie, she's going to win a, a couple of games, but these college kids are very, very good. Yeah. So to get a college guy that wants to play women's tennis, I don't know if there's any out there right now that are doing it. I don't I'm know either. But, this but in, in any sport at all, it's just yeah. it's, to me, it's criminal. I agree. And then you get into something that's physical. I mean, they, they could go into boxing. They, I mean, where do you yeah. put the stop to it? Yeah. Someone's going to get hurt. Soccer. Right. You know, rugby. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. And um, I, I don't know, you know, you have nieces that are athletic. Um, they play sports. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's just, I feel like, you know, it's, it's a woke agenda, but like people need to wake up. True, true. Did, did I see something recently, maybe even today, about they were starting a group for that, that gender and they couldn't get enough people signed up? Like for transgenders, for swimming or something, they're just a, a group like that that can compete against each other, but they couldn't get enough. I think it was swimming. Oh. I may be wrong, but. Oh, interesting. I think that would be fair. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it would be. You know, and I think we're all sitting around the table here. We don't have anything against someone that feels like they're the wrong sex. Mm -hmm. But to then rob uh, young women of the chance to compete on, on a level against other biological women, we just feel something about that is wrong. Um, but uh, I feel like that would be a good solution. Mm -hmm. They can say, swim in the same pool, play right. in the same tournaments, <clears throat> but not be comparing them or competing them against a woman to potentially take her spot mm -hmm. that i mean that would be fair true yeah kind of like their own their own league you know men's yep. women's transgender and, yep. and again to put this out there like none of us here have any issues against people wanting to do you know i always say like hey you do you boo yep. um so it's no kind of phobia or anything like that but i think as far as to take somebody's podium position away if you're born genetically born a female competing against other genetically born females uh you know i think spot on maybe have their own league yeah their own yeah. division um yeah so back off the um <laughs> world topics mm -hmm. um talk a little bit about you know this is a fitness show and uh athletics like the game of tennis is i believe part of fitness but you also spoke about the important attributes of building that fundamentals, sleep, um, rest. Um, do you incorporate or encourage weight training, any type of nutrition? Like what is your, some of your core uh, positions on 
the training for tennis? Sleep. I'll just go ahead and say sleep. He's always telling me to sleep more. <laughs> I think the sleep is a big priority. And yeah. To get, get the rest in between. Then, like you mentioned, rest is a complete opposite. It's, it's something else I'm doing besides during the day. You, uh, you can work hard, and, uh, and then your, your training off the court should probably be as much as on the court. Um, weight training, I think, is fine. You know, certain muscles you don't necessarily want to overdevelop. The biceps, the chest seem to be, uh, you know, kind of detrimental to, at times for, for tennis. Um, but fitness is a huge part. I mean, if you look at Roger Federer was spending a lot of time in the gym. Uh, Djokovic does a tremendous amount of stretching and agility move, m movement. Alcaraz, and the new whiz kid, is, is in unbelievable shape. And with the way these guys move nowadays, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. So it's more so, yoga based, would you say? I, like, I think they uh, do a Djokovic lot. And yeah, Djokovic is very interesting because he has going to have the huge longevity because of the flexibility and the yoga and the stretching. Goes to the gym like three times a day, but they say it's just stretching he's doing. Three times a day. Well, it may be overrated, but he's that's what he's doing. Right. His flexibility is just incredible, and and he's. Over the top, I don't know all the things he's doing, but I think he sleeps inside some kind of a sleep chamber. Uh -huh. um, you know, he's, wh whatever it is, he's always been able to go the extra mile to find this person that could work on a serve. Someone else can do this. He's always tweaking it, trying to get that little bit of an edge, you know, like putting my socks on right in my shoes. If I can get just a small little edge, then uh, that, that could hopefully help me out as time goes on. Hmm. Um. Tell me about like the the craze of uh, pickleball, and I used to play paddle tennis. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of on the same size court, right? Mm -hmm. But is what what are the differences? I didn't do a lot of paddle myself. Okay, uh, but the pickleball has definitely taken off. I mean, it's been going and going. Then all of a sudden, it's just taken off. Yeah, it's an easy entrance. Okay. Uh, so people that I've seen come out and try to play tennis who couldn't play at all and had, I didn't see the talent to even take it to another level, 20 minutes they can play some pickleball. People a little more friendly to get you involved with it. More social. More social. The court's smaller. I always thought at the club that I'm at, they asked me where they should put the pickleball courts. I said, put them as far away from the tennis as you can. <laughs> because I, I, didn't, I thought maybe the ball coming over the fence and the noise of the ball but really, it's more the people laughing, socializing in between points. They're, they're just, I mean, granted, the higher level, a little more serious, but the majority of people are laughing, socializing, and just having some fun out there. So the pickleball is just an, an easy entrance into getting to play. Paddle smaller. You're basically, you're serving underhand. Serving overhand in tennis is takes some time. Hitting a ball underhand is, is a pretty easy way to start it. So and it, the ball is the ball different? It's a uh, it's a wiffle ball. It's a wiffle it doesn't ball. bounce as much. Bounces okay. low. Okay. Uh, the idea of the game is to get to the net. The team that gets to the net and controls the net is probably going to win, mm. without stepping in the kitchen. There's What's a, the there's kitchen? The kitchen is right next to the. It's seven feet from the net. Okay. And there's a line there. You can't hit a volley in the kitchen. You can't ah. be standing in there. You can stand behind it and you can hit it. Right. But you can't stand in it and you can't stand next to it and fall into it after you do your volley. So they try to keep you away from the net. Got it. So you've got a lot of dink shots that are going over the net real low until finally someone gets a chance they can rip it. Got it. Uh, it the, the game is it's interesting because the game is getting a lot of advertisement now like Andre and uh, 
Steffi are playing Johnny Macro and Maria Shar Sharapova match. Oh, cool. I'm sure there's a million dollars or something on it. Uh, Do you know where's that game going to be played? I really in don't Vegas know. or no, out of town? I think it's or? out of town. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I think it's back east. A lot of the tennis players that have retired are coming back and trying to play. They're going to start some kind of a, I'm sure, a professional higher level with good money in it. Right. The Bryan brothers, who are good friends of ours, uh, are more than likely going to be involved. They're going to get paid some nice little fee right. uh, over a certain amount of years to, to compete. So they're bringing in these tennis players. And, of course, the Bryant brothers are the greatest doubles team of all, all time. It's mainly a doubles league is what's, what's happening. I'd say maybe 1% of the people are playing singles. Wow, interesting. Sounds like a game I might have to There you, you go. Gotta, yeah, play. come out. Coach will get you going on yeah, a Sunday. Yeah, we got a doubles yeah. match already. We got yeah. it. Who's yeah. the, who are we going to take on? I don't know. <laughs> You're in. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned several times about uh charity and i know you're involved in one um can you tell us a little bit about that and and how do people get involved okay well um we have a, a ceo now trent he came through the the foundation and now is after working for about 15 years and now running it for us um we have a headquarters out at lorenzi park we have a lease on the tennis facility out there and there's also some bungalows we have there where the kids go out there and study. We have about 60 kids in the morning train, uh, another 60 kids in the evening. Got some great coaches. Uh, David McPherson, who was coaching the Bryant brothers for like the last 10, 15 years, he's now involved with coaching. Um, Tim Blinkiron coached a lot of top professionals. Asia Muhammad, a local girl, he's involved with that. James Blake, kid from Ireland, excellent player and coach. Um, so we're doing that at Lorenzi. Um, Did you all just win an award? Is that what yeah, I we saw? We got a, an award by the USTA for the best facility in the country and the best program in the country. Wow. But we got these coaches that'll stand up to anybody. They know what they're doing, and they're helping the kids. And, and one of the criteria is attitude. You know, we don't want all it takes is one kid with this sour attitude that can turn your whole program the other other way. And we try to encourage the kids to get to an elite group that they can go on trips and do some things with us, try to motivate them a little bit. And the, the, probably the most important thing that I've seen is the kids that have graduated will come back from college and spend time with these kids. Because on, sun, on uh, uh, the summertime, we do like a retreat out at Lake Las Vegas for a couple of weeks. And these kids will take their time off to mentor the younger kids, which I never thought that was going to happen. Because usually by the time you're 20, you're off doing something on your own. But... They enjoy the camaraderie and, and working with the kids. I think that just shows also the impact that your program had on them and their life mm -hmm. to take it upon themselves and show that self-initiative to come back and mentor those that are coming through the program as well, would you say? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We've got kids that, uh, you know, trouble lives. Got a little girl named Cheryl who uh, tried to commit suicide. Her father was, was in the hospital. It felt like it was her fault. So she ends up in a ward. <clears throat> calls my partner, and uh, he has, his twin brother has uh, ties to some movie people, got all the Adam Sandler, you got the Bryant brothers to make a little video and say, hey, Cheryl, you know, you're going to do fine hanging there. So she came out, she worked her way out, now she's a big part of the foundation. She got a scholarship to Stanford, and she started kind of a, a men mentoring mental health over at Stanford. 
So nice. it's just amazing. We, we don't deal with, uh, you know, a million kids. We got a small group, but then they mushroom out and now they're touching. Every kid's touching a certain amount of kids. Right, right. And so kind of run this down for me. I don't know how this has worked. Mm -hmm. So people will donate to this program mm -hmm. and you basically take in a limited amount of kids that meet a qualification mm -hmm. And you teach them tennis and life lessons. Is that how it works? And some of them don't uh, don't do tennis. They just come in. We get some referrals from some people, or we're traveling and they meet somebody and they want to come out. And uh, uh, they're all home studied. Oh wow! And we've got some homes that we've purchased that they'll they'll stay. We'll get people that'll uh, manage those homes. And how would someone qualify? You said attitude, like. Well, I mean, if if they got a a, a really terrible attitude that they can infect the other kids, you know, we, we have to be careful about that. Right. You know, you got to want to kind of uh, change and, and move in a different direction. Uh, so do they apply to? Basically, they would apply. Okay. You know, we, we would, you know, somebody may know them and give them a reference. Okay. Uh, but the main thing was they haven't went out to try to do a million kids. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was creating leaders. Leaders that could, in any little area they go into, um, they can lead other kids, and of course, they can progress themselves. Hmm. And I think you were mentioning something with, like, is something like a big event happening anytime soon? Do you have anything coming up that? Nothing right now, but we're probably going to do uh, about five fundraisers this year. Um, this year? Like uh, not, excuse me, excuse me, next okay. year, next year coming <laughs> up, yeah. <laughs> thought you were going to rock them, sock them, yeah. end of the year, fourth quarter, okay, next year. Mm. Awesome. Any tidbits, anything? No, don't, don't really know where we're going to be going. Yeah. I mean, one, one we're going to do in Vegas. We may do one in Telluride because Jewel's up there. We may do one in Europe because a big fundraiser uh, is out of Italy, and he'd like to get behind it. The thing is, these people come out, and they see what it is, and they fall in love with it because I'm not trying just to promote it myself, but it's the real deal. Right. And uh, once these people see it and they want to get behind it, then they've got other friends that want to get behind it. Nice, nice. I think that just that just kind of shows similar to what Gary Bracker was talking about is the authenticity, mm. right? So I think when, you know, to Marty's, to Marty's regard about his program, you know, he's not really trying to put it out there and blast it because uh, he might be probably, he is the most humble man I've ever encountered in my life. Uh, but as far as just authentically wanting to make a difference and impact these children's lives so that they can, like he said, become leaders and impact other children and other people and other people that are they encounter through life, I think that's a big thing is the authenticity and that just kind of sparks people and comes back and, and people want to be around Coach Marty. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That's cool. Changing people's lives. That's kind of what I, my mission is through fitness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, this one over here has, I think, stepped into that space a little bit because her journey is so inspiring. Um, so it's a, it's a good feeling talking about this stuff and, and actually seeing like results happening in real time. That's, that's awesome. And, and you know, the comment you made about just changing lives when you can get yourself out of you, me, mm. me, me, and you get yourself onto something else, you feel better about you. Fulfillment, 100%. But to do it about me all the time, it, it ends up catching up. You don't feel that great. But get yourself out of you, you can do a lot more things, I think, with that. And I think all of us are in that same realm. Yeah. 
Speaking about that, because I know you probably won't bring it up yourself, but um, tell us a little bit about your you coaching your granddaughter. Um, I see you guys out there, um, and and this young lady, let me tell you, is phenomenal. Not only as a a person, an individual, but she's a fantastic tennis player. How how is that as far as training family members? I know sometimes family can be tricky. Um, how, how does that work out for you? Well, I, she's I just phenomenal. Wanna, I just want to make sure I'm there when they want some help. Now, she's 17. She uh, she loves tennis. She'd like to play it. I'm going to end up getting her on a 3-5 team when she's 18 at the club. I had her come out and play with the 3-0 uh, three, three guys yesterday to get some practice. Uh, but she has a love for the game. It's a game you can take through your whole life, all the people you meet and the connections you get and the healthy benefits. She had... Uh, her brothers and sisters were, were she's got twins. The, uh, the girl, Olivia, was three-time state champion, and her twin brother was the finalist twice in the state high school. Now, one of them is now playing college tennis, the girl, and the boy went on a two-year mission to Mozambique. They're Mormons. Came back. He's now going to be a pilot for Southwest, it looks like. But she was sitting on the couch, 40 pounds, 45 pounds heavier, and she decided, since they were gone, I'm going to play tennis. So this is like two years ago. So she came out. She lost all this weight. She started studying on her own or what to eat right. She was, we'd go to restaurants. She wouldn't order anything. She had to make it herself at the home. And then she started practicing her tennis. She, she plays on that ball machine. And she's got a ball machine back home. So just the love of hitting it. And eventually, you know, she'll be able to play a decent game and, and meet some nice people and have a, a sport for your lifetime. I mean, we all like sports, but how many sports can you play? When you get older, there's so few. Yeah, I need to Can't know get the a couple football of them. <laughs> 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 That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, so anything else that we missed? Um, it's been a great conversation that you want to talk about to the people out there and the social media and any wi wi words of wisdom? Well, I just think, first of all, this is a fantastic studio. Thank I've, you. I've never seen anything like this. Thank so th you. this has been an, uh, a real interesting experience. I enjoy it. And uh, Emily, appreciate all your help Absolutely. and your work ethic. And to see, uh, see what she does out there has been a big plus. And thank you, uh, Go, <laughs> all your help. I, he said, I said, I'm Gio. And he said, he said, Go. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Gio, go. <laughs> yeah. Go faster. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else for? I don't. Uh, just thank you to Coach Marty for coming out. Uh, it was a Geo actually challenged me to see if I could get you yeah. on this show, and I was, I took it on as though I had all the confidence in the world, but my little voice inside my heart said, "I don't know," because you're such a humble, humble yeah. human being, and it it was kind of up in the air if I'd be able to fulfill that over delivered it. promise. I didn't want to be, yeah. Well, so. <laughs> how can you say no? Right there, you go. You, no, man. there you go. There you go. No way. There you go. It. Well, it. thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy man. Um, and uh, we'll get you back on when you have another like event, maybe next year where you want to promote it. And uh, we'll get you back on talking about that. And again, thank you so much for coming. Great, and, you. Thank you for the invite. Yes, awesome. Well, folks, like I said, like, share. And until next time, Fit Bam, I'm out. <laughs>